All right, we're jumping into week 10 of this sermon series in the book of Romans, Romans 12, 9 through 21. In the midst of the great disruption of 2020, asking the question, what does the world need right now? And if you've missed this sermon series all the way back to the beginning when we started in Romans 12, 9, you can get caught up on YouTube and look for the sermon titled Love Without Hypocrisy. Now, last week in Romans 12, 17, we took a look at a, a really significant section of this marching orders from Paul to the early church. And he tells us to not repay evil for evil, but rather take thought for what is noble in the sight of all. And if you were with us last week, we unpacked in the Greek language how it gives this image of needing to have premeditated mercy. And this last week, as people have responded to that sermon, people are emailing or calling or saying, yes, this is, this is so tangible. This is so practical. Many people have reached out and have told stories of how they have found themselves more frequently recently just reacting to people in their life, in line at the grocery store, on social media feeds, in their hearts, in their minds, with their words. We live in a reactionary culture. And many people said that this, this tool, this command that Paul gives us in Romans 12, 17, that before we even get into a situation where we might respond in kind and then regret it later, the tool being that we should, in advance, premeditate, to plot, to envision, to maybe even obsess over extending mercy and love and joy and forgiveness. And it's been amazing to see people putting it into practice this week, already letting us know. And if you have stories of how you have put these things into practice, we want to hear from you. In fact, if you go to our website, and if you go to belair.org forward slash connect, you can let us know some of these stories of how God is using you to be the hands and feet of Jesus in your everyday lives. Well, today in this week 10 of this sermon series, we're in Romans 12, 18. And again, the section of scripture has 38 verbs in just 13 verses because it reminds us that to be followers of Jesus isn't just about faith or belief that we hold privately to ourselves, but it is faith in Jesus that prompts us to live for Jesus in every area of our life. You know, as a church, we long to be a church that follows Jesus every day and everywhere with everyone. And there is activity to that. And this section of scripture tells us that there's a lot that we can do right now in our everyday lives. So Romans 12, 18, really in many ways builds upon all that has come before it. And again, if you've missed any of those early sermons, you can get caught up on our YouTube channel. Again, last week was on premeditated mercy. It really helps having done that before you get to this verse, and this is Romans 12, 18, very succinctly and shortly, the Apostle Paul writes this. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. This, my friends, is the reading of God's word as we say every week, thanks be to God. You know, I love scripture. Because often scripture goes a route that is different than how I would go. 
Well, it's a good thing because I am not inspired by the Holy Spirit every time I write, and yet all of Scripture is inspired, is God-breathed, that every word in Scripture, Scripture says about itself, is useful for correction and teaching and reproof. And, you know, I might say, just live peaceably with all. And that's it. But Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, says so much more than that. He begins with, if it is possible... As far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Now, I don't know about you, but when I read that verse, I am tempted to rush past the, the preamble and get to what I think is the main point, live peaceably with all. But as I've been studying this passage over the last couple of weeks, I am reminded, again, what Scripture says about itself, that all of Scripture is God-breathed. All of it is useful for correction, teaching, reproof, training up in the ways of the Lord. And so what I want to do today is to do something that we did actually also earlier this summer. We're going to take a look at this verse in reverse. We're going to start with the end of this verse and work our way backwards. And you might remember early in the summer, a significant passage in Jeremiah that talks about beginning with humbling ourselves and repenting and praying to the Lord and seeking the healing of the land. You might remember that sermon called Healing the Land in Reverse. And the reason why I did that then and the reason why I want to do that now is because I believe that sometimes when we work our way backwards, we can see things from a different angle. And actually, I found that we're going to save perhaps the most significant part of this verse for last. In fact, that little phrase in the beginning that for years I have just rushed past, if it is possible, is actually, I believe, the most important, the most significant part of this verse. We'll save that for last. I'm telling you, it's dynamite. You've got to wait for it. But let's work our way backwards in this passage of Scripture, Romans 12, 18, and ask the Holy Spirit, would you give us the wisdom? Would you give us the knowledge? Would you give us the ability to hear what you long for us to hear so that we wouldn't just know it for ourselves, but we would begin to put it into practice as followers of Jesus? So if you have those Bibles, keep them open. Maybe if you were taking notes, that last word in this passage is the word all. Now, Paul isn't just talking about some or those in your family or those whom you like or those that are a lot like you. He uses the word all. Now, it's important to understand that in the fullness of Scripture from Genesis to Revelation, that there's this picture that God gives us of all things that is actually bigger than we as humans define. To put it succinctly, that there are four spheres of relationships that you have that encompass the all that Paul has commanded us to live peaceably with. It is God's creation. It is other people. It is yourself and it is God. In fact, you can trace this all the way back to the beginning in Genesis 1 and 2. It gives us the 
beautiful picture in the Garden of Eden of what God intended for God's humanity and God's creation to look like. And you can say when you study Genesis 1 and Genesis 2, verses uh, chapters 1 and 2, that through the significance of the creation account, we get this beautiful picture of what it is like to be in right relationship at peace with God, with ourselves, with each other, and with creation. In fact, the Hebrew word for peace is the word shalom. Paul, of course, writing in the Greek language, is a Jewish man, and he is drawing upon the wisdom of the fullness of the Hebrew Scriptures, the unfolding narrative of God's story. When he says to live peaceably with all, he wants the hearers, and for us today, to hear that image of shalom. And it's not just the absence of war or bickering. It is the experience of all the wholeness, all the fullness, all the vivaciousness of what it could look like to be in right relationship in those four spheres of relationship with God, with ourselves, with each other, and with all of creation. Now what's fascinating is we get, again in those first two chapters of Genesis, a picture of what shalom looks like. But we also get a picture of what it looks like when shalom, when peace is lost. In Genesis chapter 3, you can read it later, the first humans choose their way rather than God's way. They are disobedient to God's command. They, they buy into the lie of God's enemy in the form of a serpent and they eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And in that instant... All four relationships begin to get fractured. Relationship with God. They hide from God for the first time. Relationship with one another. They realize that they are naked, that they are ashamed, and they cover themselves from one another, and they hide from even each other. In the chapters of fall, they begin to actually kill one another. Even the relationship with themselves, they are ashamed when they look at themselves. And again, they, they have to cover themselves out of shame. And with creation, for the first time, they stop caring for and cultivating the earth. And as a result, there is brokenness, even in trying to plant food, even in trying to live in harmony with God's creation. And so you can actually trace throughout all of the Hebrew scriptures, throughout all of the Old Testament, what it looks like for there to be broken peace between us and God, us and ourselves, us and each other, and us and creation. Now, some people, when they read scripture, especially the Old Testament, they can be shocked. I can't believe the violence in the Bible, some people say. I can't believe the immorality of some of God's people in the Bible, some people will say. And it's true. And I find that as I study scripture, it is a reminder of what life can look like even for people who are God's people. When they begin to depart from God's ways, 
when they can begin to have their identity in other things other than what God gives them, when they can begin to see a life as being for a purpose other than what God has purposed for them, that the breakdown of shalom, the brokenness of peace, is displayed to us in high-definition technicolor throughout the Hebrew Scriptures. And we can see not just in Scripture, we can not only see in the first century, but we can see in the world around us today how much we need peace. Peace with God. Peace with ourselves Peace with each other. Peace with creation. And Paul in Romans 12, 18 is calling us, is commanding us, is telling Christians everywhere, that's you and me to live peaceably with all. With God, with ourselves, with each other, with all of creation. I want you, let's just linger on this for a moment. I want you just to imagine what life could be like if you were at perfect peace with God. Every time you think about God or God's view of you, every time you spend time in God's word or in prayer, imagine what it would be like for you to have this deep-seated security in God's love for you, that you don't walk around with guilt or wondering, am I making God angry, that you're not doing anything for Jesus in order to earn God's love. Imagine what it would be like to have such a deep-seated sense of shalom. Again, that is a wholeness. It is a, a deep vitality. It is all that God intends it should be. Imagine that in your relationship with the maker of heaven and earth. But imagine what it would look like to be at peace with yourself. To never beat yourself up over things you haven't done or things that you've done. Imagine what it would be like to not walk around with shame or, or insecurity. Imagine what it would be like to not hate certain things about you. Imagine what it would be like to not play on loop some of the, the tapes that we have on repeat in our mind that cause us a deep level of anxiety. Imagine what that would look like. But now imagine what it would look like to be at peace with your family, your roommates, your friends, your co-workers. Imagine what it would be like for a Thanksgiving dinner, a vacation, a meeting, an interaction with your kids or with your parents or with a neighbor that you would define as peaceful. Imagine if you can go throughout life without a, a categorization of people that you are at odds with and those you are at peace with, but actually all people, you would be at a deep level of reconciliation and deep-seated satisfaction and peace together. Imagine what that would look like. But imagine what it would look like to be at peace with people who are very much unlike you, who believe things different than you, who believe... Uh, the solution to problems are different than your belief of solutions of problems. Imagine what it would be like to be at peace with all people. 
But now imagine what it would be like to be at peace with all of God's creation. Imagine if you could find out that how you spent your time, how you spent your energy, how you spent your money actually was at peace with God's creation. That you weren't contributing either knowingly or unknowingly to the destruction of our environment. That you wouldn't be part of the problem that is causing God's creation to be choked by the selfish progress of humanity. Just imagine how beautiful that would be. Again, peace from a biblical point of view isn't just a lack of discord or a lack of violence. No, it is a very proactive, it is a very vivacious, it is a very tangible, it is a very much leaning in sense of wholeness and reconciliation as all things that God intends would be. That is the deep longing that Paul has for Christians to live peaceably with all. But how do we experience that? I mean, I long for that. I imagine you long for that. People, we we have eternity written on our heart, as the writer of Ecclesiastes said. We long for peace. Well, if we work our way backwards through this passage... Paul says, before he writes, live peaceably with all, he writes, so far as it depends on you. What a great reminder that in this life, there are things that you can control and there's things that you can't control. He's saying, as far as it depends on you, because in actual fact, we've got to remember that it takes a lot more than just us to create peace, especially when it comes to peace with other people. You can do all the things in your control, but if there are other people who don't do what they can control, that there is a limit to you being able to be a peacemaker so far as it depends on you. Now, here's the problem. I think that many people focus too much on the things that we can't control and we get overwhelmed. We get paralyzed by all those things out there in this world. And we don't take the time to focus on that which we can control. Remember this section of scripture, 13 verses, Romans 12, 9 through 21, has 38 verbs, a lot of activity, a lot of things that we can control in our thoughts, with our words, with our actions. Paul is saying, focus on those things that you can control. Now, as a pastor, I spent a lot of time interacting with people and people set up meetings and we have phone calls and email exchanges and uh, meetings in person. And sadly, I find that even Christians sometimes get so overwhelmed by the things in this world that can't be controlled. Are drowning under the tidal wave of confusion, of fear, of discord. Are overwhelmed by world events. Are overwhelmed by things that we see on the news. And in many of these interactions that I have with even Christians, there's such a focus on those things that we can't control that there's never energy put into that which we can control. You know, this is where the serenity prayer is so powerful. I'm sure you've heard of it written by Reinhold Niebuhr. It's God, give me the serenity. Give me the serenity. In other words, give me the peace 
The serenity prayer is a, is a peace prayer. Give me the serenity to accept the things that I cannot change. To have the courage to change the things that I can. And the wisdom to know the difference. You see, there is a peace when you can just accept the things that you can't change, that you have the courage to engage with that which you can, and the wisdom to know the difference. You see, followers of Christ, we have tremendous agency. We have tremendous uh, capacity to control many things in our lives. And that actually begins with our thoughts. You know, many of you have heard of the passage to take every thought captive for the Lord. A lot of people don't know the beginning part of that verse. In fact, it's found in 2 Corinthians. I've listed this language, same writer as the book of Romans. Paul wrote a couple letters to the church in Corinth. And in 2 Corinthians 2.5, he says this. We are called to demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. This kind of dips into our sermon last week on premeditated mercy. The Apostle Paul is telling us, and this is, this is aggressive language here. You see, there is a, an aggression that is required to be a peacemaker. And Paul says that we are called to demolish every argument, every thought that goes up against the knowledge of God so that we can take captive every thought, every thought that comes into our mind that isn't from God, every thought that comes into our mind that prompts us to not be a peacemaker, but to be a peace breaker, to take captive all of those thoughts and give it to Christ. You see, when we begin to see how our thought life is the beginning of peacemaking, long before we ever have an interaction with somebody, again, this is now going back to premeditated mercy, that there is an opportunity to be a peacemaker privately. Peacemaking begins in private. Peacemaking begins in our thought life, and we are called to 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 take every thought and hold it captive before Christ. And then once we get into those interactions, it's really one of two choices. There's no middle road. It's either one or the other. We are in our interactions with God, with ourselves, with each other, with creation. I'll say it in extremes. We are either peacemakers or we are peace breakers. There are things that we can do. There are things that we can say. There are things that we can fail to do or fail to say that either make peace or break peace in all of our relationships. You have control on whether you can be a peacemaker or a peace breaker. And there's great opportunity. The Apostle Paul is reminding all of us, so far as it depends on you to be a peacemaker with all people. This is proactive. This is not reactive. This is not just peacekeeping. This is peacemaking. This is seeking peace. This is seeking reconciliation. This is seeking to extend trust. This is seeking to, to forgive, to say I'm sorry, to repair broken things. This is a very proactive way of life. 
But far too often we get paralyzed, we get silent, we get shut down in our thought life and therefore we don't show up to be proactive peacemakers. And often things break around us and we're contributing to being peace breakers. You know, and additionally, as we go through interactions, it's important for us just to pause and to take stock to review our interactions with God, with ourselves, with each other, and with creation. You know, the unexamined life, as it's been said, is a life not worth living. In fact, all of Scripture tells us that it's essential for us to to take a look and to reflect on how we live, on how we act, and to, to compare it to what God commands for us. And if there are interactions with God, with ourselves, with each other, with creation that are out of alignment, where we have been peace-breaking rather than peacemaking, you know what Scripture calls us to do? To repent. To repent means that you, on one hand, see that what you are doing, what you are saying, what you are thinking is out of alignment of God's best for your life. And because of that, you see the gap. First, you're filled with sorrow. You're filled with heartache that you have contributed to something that is contrary to God's heart. And with this deep-seated, not sense of shame, but acknowledgement, a soberness of God, I have... I have failed to do that which you have called me to do and it breaks your heart. It, it doesn't create peace in any relationship in my life. The word repent literally means to then turn. That there's an opportunity as we examine all of our interactions with people, with God, with ourselves, with each other, that we can turn and then commit to, through the power of the Holy Spirit, to be in alignment with God's heart. To ask for forgiveness sometimes where we've been peace-breaking, not peacemaking. To go to whether it's people or ourselves or to God. And yes, even creation to see where we have been breaking peace, to turn and then to, to make peace, to seek peace, to seek reconciliation, to sow God's heart, to sow God's love, to sow God's forgiveness, to sow God's peace and trust and joy back into it. But where do we get the power to do this? Again, we're working our way backwards through this passage of Romans 12, 18. Remember, all is all things. It's not just God. It's not just ourselves. It's not just others. It's all of creation. We're called to live peaceably. That is this deep-seated sense of shalom. It's much more than just a lack of war. But there's things we can't control. So Paul says, so far as it depends on you. And now we get to the very beginning of this verse. We're working our way backwards and we're getting to what I believe is perhaps the most significant part of this verse. If it is possible. If it is possible. Sounds like, like I said in the beginning, just the prelude. It sounds like something that you just skip past just to get to the main point. But I'm telling you, as I've studied this section of Scripture, if it is possible, perhaps, is as or perhaps even more important than Paul's command to live peaceably with all. You see, this sermon isn't just about being a peacemaker. This sermon is about where do you get the power to be a peacemaker? You see, in the Greek language, language of the New Testament, the language that Paul is writing in, 
that we translate into the English for us today. We've translated it to if it is possible. The word possible is the Greek word dunatom. It's where we get the word dynamite from. In the Greek language, this word dunatom is related to the word dunamis, power, ability, might, dynamite. Paul is saying, if you have the power, as far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. If you have the power. You see, there are a lot of different sources of strength in this world. There are a lot of different sources of power in this world. There's a lot of different sources of ability in this world. First, let's take a look at the world that Paul was writing into and living in. This is the first century. This is in Rome. Paul is writing to Christians in the middle of the Roman Empire. Now, if you are a student of world history, you would know or be familiar with the phrase Pax Romana, literally translated as the Peace of Rome. In fact, it was known as this 200 or so year history that began when Caesar Augustus rose to power. It ended when Marcus Aurelius, known as the last of the good emperors, died. Roughly this 200-year period that the Roman Empire experienced a peace unlike the world had ever known. And there's all these historians that write about it, that talk about it. The Pax Romana, the peace of Rome. At that time, it extended all the way up to the north to Modern-day England, it extended all the way to the south to modern-day Morocco, extended all the way to the east to modern-day Iraq. At that time, at the height of the Roman Empire, 70 million residents lived in the midst of the peace of the Roman Empire. But Pax Romana was peace at the end of a sword. The power that led to the peace of Rome was imperial might and rule. It was a conquering power. It was peace at the cost of submission. For all the people groups, all the nations, all the tribes that the Roman Empire had dominated. You might not know, but just a few years before this moment that Paul writes of the church in Rome, the Jewish people have been kicked out of Rome. In fact, Paul writes this letter to Rome and just a number of years later, he is beheaded because of his faith and trust in Jesus Christ. In fact, a number of years later, Caesar Nero begins to kill Christians in the most barbaric ways. Pax Romana indeed. So Paul is writing in the midst of that world where people understand the concept of peace. If it has the wrong power source, isn't peace for all. It's peace for those in power. 
but not for peace for those who are oppressed. And as time goes by, we begin to see the Roman Empire lose its peace. Other empires rise up and they overtake the Roman Empire. The peace of the kingdom of the Roman Empire lasted only 200 years. And there's been a lot of other times in human history where there is a similar type of peace for different reasons in different ways. And it could be tempting to think that the only way to get peace is if you take those that are in power and you take them out of power. In fact, that's what the Jewish people believed in the first century that the coming Messiah would do. They thought that God was going to reestablish God's kingdom here on earth through a Messiah who would then conquer the Roman Empire and establish God's kingdom here on earth. But that's not what God did. In fact, we can see throughout a lot of human history that there has been this misguided belief that the way to peace is simply you take those that are in power and you take them out of power and you put those who are oppressed and you put them into power. This has been the case since the beginning of human history. In fact, I see it here in the United States. I see it spilling out across the world that there is this misguided belief it's not a biblical belief. It's not God's heart. It's not the fullness of the power that is needed for peace to come to all. And it's this belief that peace can come if we just take all the people in power and we remove them in power and we put the right people in power. In fact, there's this big movement throughout the world. It started in academia in the middle of the 20th century. It's called critical theory. I had heard about it in college and it has moved throughout academia and now it has gained steam in pop culture and it is this belief that peace comes when power is transferred from oppressors to the oppressed. And there's this struggle right now and you can hear it and you can see it. The people are longing for peace. That's good. That's God's heart. But if we draw upon the wrong power source, the wrong dunaton, we won't have the dynamite, we won't have the, the weight and the capacity and the ability to bring peace to all people. In fact, in a different example, there's some people who believe that, you know, peace can come if we just withdraw ourselves from people who are unlike us and we just get into an enclave and we're just around people who just believe what we do and there's this temptation. It's gone since the beginning of humanity where people think that peace comes when we choose to just be with those like us. And there is this sense, and I see it in the U.S., I see it throughout the world, where people are seeing the destruction of things around and there is a withdrawal, there is a protection, there is a, we've got to huddle up and just be around people like us. And yes, you're going to experience peace with those people, but God is calling us to so much more. Remember, he's calling us to live peaceably with all, not just those like us. We're in the midst of what some people have said is the, you know, the biggest election in human history. And there's some people who believe that if we just get the right person, the right political party into power here in the U.S., then peace will come. 
In fact, we could spend hours talking about all the different ways in which people have different opinions, different perspectives on what the power source that is required to bring peace to this world. But Paul, I believe in this passage, is telling us that there is one power source unlike any other power source. And it's not governmental rule. It's not Pax Romana. It's not Pax Americana. It's not removing ourselves. It's not taking those in power out of power, that there is one power source and that power source has a name. Jesus. Who is the Prince of Peace. Who is the very definition of pure power. A power that doesn't oppress a power that doesn't exploit, a power that doesn't demean, a power that doesn't divide, but a power that comes and brings peace to all. Hear these words. Also from the Apostle Paul in Colossians 1, verses 19 through 23, talking about Jesus. For in him, in Jesus... All the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through Jesus, God was pleased to reconcile all things to God. All things through Jesus were reconciled, were made peace with God. Whether on earth or in heaven, heaven. Paul is saying that everything in all of creation has been reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. How? Paul says, by making peace through the blood of his cross. And you, me too, and you who were once estranged and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, Jesus is now reconciled in his fleshly body through death so as to present you and me. To present you as holy and blameless and irreproachable before God in heaven. Provided that you continue securely established and steadfast in the faith. Without shifting from the hope promised by the gospel that you have heard which has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven. I, Paul, became a servant of the gospel. Here's what Paul is saying in Colossians, and he says it in Romans, that there's a peace that can come in our relationship with God, with ourselves, with each other, with all of creation, and that can only come through Jesus Christ, who alone has the power to reconcile us to God. And then out of the overflow of that to reconcile us with ourselves. To then reconcile us with one another. To then reconcile us with all of God's creation. Paul says, if it is possible, if you have the power, if you have Jesus, then there is no limit to what Christ the Prince of Peace can do through you.
than your relationship with God, with yourself, with each other, with all of creation. Listen to some of these other verses. In fact, in Romans 5.1, Paul, same writer, says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we now have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Remember how early on in the sermon I asked you to imagine what it would be like to be at peace with God? That doesn't just have to be a dream. You can experience that right here and right now. Simply through putting your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, not in your works, but in the perfect works of Jesus. When you confess Jesus as your Lord, as your Savior, when you see the perfect sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross, Scripture says, Colossians 1, I read it earlier, says this, that you are then reconciled to God. And now God looks at you and you're whole. He looks at you in Christ and says, you've been brought near. He looks at you in Christ and says, you are enough. You are treasured. You are cherished. Live at peace in the communion of being part of God's family. Right here, right now, for the first time, you can experience peace with God. You don't have to walk forward into this life with guilt or shame or wondering, have I done enough to earn God's love? Put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Power will rush into your life and you will be at peace with the maker of heaven and earth. And for those of us that have put our faith in Jesus many, many years ago, what an opportunity to be reminded of that truth that is through Jesus alone that we've been made peace with God. So let's come back to that. Let's be reminded of that. Let's repent from living in our own ways and turn back to God through Jesus and experience that peace. More verses for you. In fact, John 16, Jesus says this, I have said all these things to you that in me, Jesus says, not in a product, not in your good deeds, not in the right person or party in power. Jesus says, in me, you may have peace. You see, in the world, you're going to have a lot of trouble, a lot of tribulation. But take heart, Jesus says, for I, Jesus, have overcome the world. No matter what's happening in you or outside of you, Jesus says, take heart. I have defeated all of these things. My timeline, Jesus says, is eternity, but have peace because I have given you my peace. 2 Thessalonians 3.16 says this, beautiful prayer. Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times, in every way. May the Lord be with you. What a great prayer that the Lord of peace would give you peace at all times in every way, in every interaction with God, with yourself, with each other, with all of creation. As we follow Jesus every day and everywhere with everyone, we can be peacemakers because we are drawing upon a power that comes through faith and trust in Jesus Christ, that we receive the Holy Spirit to enable us, to give us the ability to fill our lives with a dynamite level of peace that can set a shockwave through the world that doesn't destroy it, but it repairs it. What a beautiful image. 
Scripture goes on. Colossians 3.15 says, And let the peace of Christ rule your hearts. Let nothing else rule your heart other than the peace of Christ, to which you were called in one body, to be part of the church, the body of Christ, the priesthood of all believers. Jesus says, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives, do I give to you. Those words in John 14, 27, Jesus reminds us that there is a power to be a peacemaker that only comes through Jesus that is different than any other power source in this world. And I believe that we can leapfrog past the, if it is possible, so far as it depends on us, and just rush out trying to be peacemakers in our own power, and we're going to come to the end of ourselves pretty quick whether it's with God, ourself, with each other, with creation. But if you rewind and go back to the beginning, there is a limitless power source that comes through a relationship with Jesus Christ, who is the Prince of Peace, who makes it possible for you to be in right relationship with God. And out of the overflow of that, Paul says you can be a peacemaker in every area of your life. This is what the world needs now more than anything else. For you to be a peacemaker, commissioned, sent out, given authority by, and empowered by Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace. Let's be peacemakers and not peacebreakers through the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you that you have come to reconcile us to God. You have come not to overwhelm us with your power, but with your power, make it possible for us to be reconciled to God. You've made it possible for all things to be reconciled to God and therefore you send us out as peacemakers. Through your power, Jesus, would you give us that power? Because sometimes we can be weary. We can run out of strength. We can run out of compassion. Give us your power, Jesus. May the peace of Christ rule our hearts. And as we do so, may we be sent out into this world as peacemakers. Jesus, we thank you for your love. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.